0: What do you mean, a train crashed? I have to get home to work on a podcast. Well, I'm sorry, sir, but podcasts are just not that important to us. If you have a seat, we'll let you know as soon as the next train is available. No, you don't understand. I have to get home. I've been falling behind lately, and I had every intention to get home early so I could record a new episode and get it out to my listeners. As I said, sir, there's nothing we can do. I will let you know as soon as we can get you on another train. (sighs) Fine, fine. I guess I don't have much choice. All I can do is sit here and wait until I can get home to work on the Bloodstream. Welcome aboard streamers, you have found the 12th episode of The Bloodstream and I'm your host Jason Gray. On this show I like to find something random on streaming, give it a watch, give you the rundown of what's going on, and then I give you my final thoughts on it. This week I'm kicking off October with a series of Halloween titled movies and this week's choice is Halloween Tales. And right off the bat I'm going to get this out of the way. I have no idea what Halloween has to do with anything in this movie, because there's tales but there's absolutely no Halloween anywhere in this movie. But, it's October, the movie is called Halloween Tales, so we're going for it. This month I plan that every movie I take a look at has Halloween in the title, with one exception, and that's going to be the very next show, which God's willing will be coming out later this week as a special treat. There's a reason why I'm getting it out soon, there's a reason there's no Halloween in the title, but I'll get into that in the next episode. But if you're paying attention, and you know me, you might be able to piece things together. But for now, let's get back to talking about Halloween Tales. Halloween Tales is a bit of an anthology movie. The movie focuses on a small group of characters who are trying to catch a train, but after a derailment shut things thing down, they end up trapped in the station and they have nothing better to do but to kill time by sitting around and telling basically campfire stories. I don't have a trailer this week, I don't really have any good music to drop in, and I don't really want to waste your time, so I'm just gonna get into talking about the movie. We open up on one of our main characters, Douglas, as he's finding out the bad news and really laying into the ticket clerk or manager or whatever his position is. And I'm not even going to really call him out too much yet on just really laying into this guy and being a major jerk because, oh, the acting, the acting burns. Douglas finds out the bad news, he meets the other characters, and we get a whole lot of exposition in the first clip.
1: You the bad news too, huh? I, I was hoping to be home tonight, but I guess that's not gonna happen. No, I guess it's not. I heard 200 people died in that wreck. <laughs> I guess we should count our blessings.
2: I'm Janice.
1: I'm, I'm Mike, nice to meet you.
2: You too, you said that 200 people died? That is so tragic.
1: Yeah, I, I think we're gonna be here the night. I, I went to use a desk phone to call a hotel, but all the phones are dead.
2: Cell service too. And these seats aren't the most comfortable in the world. Not gonna make for a good night's sleep.
1: Well, I'm not too picky. I'm I'm just happy to have a roof over my head. You were homeless? You betcha. I did the whole starving artist thing, but wasn't really a big fan of the starving part, and now I'm running with my tail between my legs home. It's kind of a humbling experience. My dad actually paid for my train ticket. How pathetic is that?
2: Not pathetic at all. Not too many people have the guts to take a leap of faith. Those are successes, even if you fail. (laughs) You don't think so, sir? You know, we tried to have a conversation with you, and you ignored them, and now you want to make your little gestures? That's rude.
3: (laughs) Rude? What about headphone girl over there?
4: Did I miss anything?
3: Judging by that outfit, you're missing a lot,
1: young lady.
4: Go fuck yourself.
1: Um, so... I'm Mike. That's Janice. And this guy right here, I don't really know his name, but he's not in a good mood. (laughs) My name
3: is Douglas. Douglas
1: Atkins. And I don't have
3: a daddy to pay my way. Time is money, and I can't afford to be stuck here. If I'm coming off as rude, I apologize. But I see children as our future. And looking at the two of you, I have high doubts about humanity's chances. Young lady... You don't expect to get a job of any consequence with an outfit like that, do you?
4: I don't need to conform to your expectations or anyone else's. I don't need to get a job that's going to impress you. You have a lot of nerve to judge me.
3: I'm trying to help you.
4: What is it that you do, Mr. Atkins?
3: I was the plant manager at a very successful chemical plant. But as luck and the economy would have it, it moved to China. I wasn't willing to relocate, not that they asked me. So I'm going to interview for a plant manager's job in upstate New York, and now I'm going to be late. You can never, ever be late for an interview.
0: It's the kiss of
1: death. I think they'll understand your situation. I sincerely doubt
0: it. Okay, okay, that's way more than enough bad acting and exposition dumping for now. So 200 people died? I'm going to make a prediction here. These four characters are the ones that are actually dead. And of course, the phones don't work because you can't call anyone from the afterlife. Ooh. So they sit around and exposit some more. Eventually, the clerk comes back out to tell them that there's no way they can get a crane out till morning to get the wreck out of the way. So they're definitely stuck there for however long this is going to take. And that's when Janet decides to, hey, let's all tell stories to pass the time. <laughs> we finally have our plot, such as it is. She kicks things off with the story of a nightmare she had the other night, and let it just get right to it.
4: Relax, it's just a blind date.
2: We've seen each other, therefore it's not really a blind date. Yeah, but you've never met. I saw this program once where there was these scammers that used other people's pictures to try to trick them. Well, that's not the case here. We video chatted, so unless he's using somebody else's face, I don't think he's a scammer.
0: Oh no! Not the horrors of a BLIND DATE! Finger crossed that the blind date is actually a face thief, because that would be awesome. So she goes on to talk about the blind date she went on, and if this is supposed to be a story from a nightmare, this is the most boring mundane nightmare ever. In fact, if anything, the tedium is the actual nightmare. He eventually mentions that he makes his own wine, and he even has a wine cellar. He invites her over and, Oh, Montresor, for the love of God! Janice kinda takes a pause at this, but he's all, oh no, 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 don't worry, don't worry, this is all a perfectly innocent thing, you know? I'm just inviting you over to my house, taking you down to my wine cellar. If you want, you can stay in my guest room. Danger, Will Robinson! Danger, no Will Robinson! But she figure, you know what, fine, it's perfectly normal and safe, I'll come over. They sit around, have some wine, There's a bit of a thump off in the distance, and the guy just brushes it off as the house settling. Okay, fine, but how is this a nightmare? They're sitting around drinking wine. Dude gets a call from work that he has to go and take care of immediately. Says it's fine for her to sit around and just enjoy the wine, which she does. She sits there, drinks some wine, soft music plays, she paces back and forth, listens to more music, has some more wine. (sighs) so sad. So boring. She goes over, has a bit of a snoop on his laptop, but on his computer she finds, he's been talking to other girls! It's… it's… it's almost like they met on a dating site! And he's had lots of other offers! Which is actually basically what he says when she calls him out on it. Bob does eventually return and as they sit back down on the couch he reveals a deep dark secret of his house in the next clip.
2: Would you mind if I slept on this couch? It's really comfortable.
1: Absolutely. Maybe in the morning we could get breakfast. I'd like that. I do have something I want to say, though. This may sound silly, but... I think there's paranormal activity happening in this house. I sometimes see things or hear things that I can't really explain.
2: It's haunted?
1: You believe in hauntings?
2: I believe in ghosts. When I was in college, I was part of the ghost hunting team and it was pretty neat.
0: He just scoffed at her for believing in ghosts! You're the one that just said your house was haunted! During the night, Janice wakes up and sees a strange figure in a dress standing in the doorway and is completely unimpressed by this. She literally just rolls over and goes back to sleep. strange person in the house, that's fine, that's normal. And most hilariously, they have a bit of a light on the person to kind of make them pop in the darkness. You can tell someone turned the light off, and the figure shuffles backwards into the darkness, so they eventually disappear. But it's so awkward. She hears a loud bang, which wakes her up, and as she's looking around, she sees the wine cellar door is unlocked and open. So sure, let her go down there. My son is such a
5: wimp. He always wants to let you whores go.
1: Janice, this isn't what it looks like. Please, let me explain.
2: I don't give a fuck what it is. I'm leaving and I'm calling the cops. Ooh, what a nasty mouth. It'll
0: be a pleasure to slice those lips off your face.
2: Listen
1: to me. I love you. We belong together. And I know you know we belong together. You're
2: sick. Your whole family is sick.
1: No, listen to me. You love me and I love you. We're gonna make this work. I love you. I do. I love you.
5: I am sick of you horse-cracking, my son! But,
3: Mom, I love her!
5: My son! My baby! What did I do? What did I do?
0: (laughs) So, yeah. Janet runs into mommy dead down in the basement. She stabs Bob in the back and Janice heads home, where she finds her friend still there who says, Oh! Bob is so great! He's in the next room! Bob comes into the room He's wearing his mom dress, basically pulling a, a cheap Norman Bates here, and he's randomly spouting off obscenities about whores and everything like his mom was. And none of this makes any sense. Bob seemed perfectly fine, if a little weird. His mom was living in the basement, his mom stabbed him, but now Bob's back Dressed his mom, so what happened to mom and... Uh, is this going to be the thing of this movie? Is it going to be because all the stories are based on nightmares that there's going to be absolutely zero attempts at logic here? And am I just supposed to accept that there's no logic because nightmares? Fuck this movie.
2: They say if you die in your dream that you die in real life, right? Well, I died in my dream and here I am. It was so scary. It just felt... Like it really happened, but it couldn't have. I mean, I'm still here.
1: What's so funny?
3: (laughs) It's just amusing. I have this worthless niece. She's into all this psychic, new-age, dream-meaning bullshit. She'd get a thrill out of listening to this shit and analyzing it. You know what your dream means, Janice? It means nothing.
0: You know, I kinda have to agree with Doug at this point. She's all worried about how she died in a dream, but oh no, she's still here. You know what that means? It means the old wives' tale is bullshit. Also raising the question of, but if I died in a dream, how can I still be here? That could be a bit of a clue for things I've already predicted. But it's time for Lacey to tell her story, and it starts out so scarily with her (gasps) sitting in front of a store, begging for money. she goes to get coffee. But finally another patron comes over to sit with her and have a chat in the next clip.
4: A little toasty for a suit.
0: People take you more seriously in this suit. I tried the whole shorts
5: and flip-flops thing, but it wasn't working for me. What are you reading?
4: I'm just some philosophy. Different takes on this world. Big question, why are we here?
5: Really? That sort of feeds into what I do.
4: You're a Jehovah's Witness, huh? Let me save you the time. I'm not religious, and I don't believe in the big, invisible, magical man in the sky.
5: So, you're not open to other ideas?
4: I'm always open. I just have a bullshit detector, mister.
5: The name's Jason Miles, and I'm far too young to be called mister. Call me Jason, please.
4: Okay, Jason. What's your game?
5: My game is the oldest game in the book. You're a hooker? No, I'm not a hooker. I've been entertaining the idea, but I'm very concerned about disease.
4: That's a joke?
5: Apparently not a very good one.
4: (laughs) No, it's alright. So why are you here?
5: So many people look at this world as such a cut-and-dry place. And the end result is merely to get by. But what kind of living is that? There's no enlightenment. There's only chasing the almighty dollar and paying the electric bill. I see the drones going to work 40, 50, 60 hours a week, rest up on the weekends and then do it all again. It's an infinite cycle of madness. But then, then there are people like you.
4: People like me? I don't consider myself better than anyone else. I really don't.
5: It's not a question of better. I'm talking about being more in tune. You see, you don't pick your destiny. Your destiny picks you. And you realized you were not meant for this glorified slave work. You were meant for more. I knew it the moment I saw you. You glow. I like people who shine. The more light I have around me, the happier I am.
4: I appreciate the compliments and all. Just not looking for a boyfriend. I'm sort of a wreck right now, and I really need to sort myself out.
5: What if I told you I have a connection to another world? I know why you're here. I knew I would find you here. I know why you keep this invisible wall around you and why you won't let anybody in.
4: Look, I've seen cold readers before. You're not going to dupe me.
5: The young lady wants proof. So when I tell you your lucky number is seven, you won't be impressed. I don't blame you. How about this? When you were seven, your father died. And that's when he came into your life the man who sent you into this spiral of uncertainty. How's that for a test?
4: How did you know that?
5: The other side. People wonder why a great force would confide in some people and not in others. I wonder the same thing. Thankfully, I am in tune, and I know all about you. I know what that deviant did, and I know you've been running ever since. You deserve better. You deserve more.
4: Okay, if you're so in tune with this other side, then tell me, what's my stepfather's name? I bet you can't.
5: Edward, and your mother's name is Nancy. That philosophy book you're reading isn't what you truly enjoy, but you found it in a dumpster two weeks ago and it's better than nothing. And you have a great big empty spot in your heart, and you wonder why this world has treated you so poorly. I'm here to tell you that struggling ends now. Wow. I've started a small community. I want to awaken this world to what's really going on. To its true evils. This wicked chase for a buck that these mindless robots do every single day of their meaningless lives. Deep in your soul, you want to help humanity. Here's your shot. What
4: do I have to
5: do? Tonight. We have a meeting. If you're so compelled... Come. If not, I'll know your answer, and never bother you again.
0: Maybe I'll see you tonight. Yay! A Jason! I approve! So Lacey heads off to the meeting that Jason invited her to, because what else are you gonna do? When she shows up, a woman answers the door, there's another woman in there, and, uh, Jason got game, I suppose. Dude, share that around a little bit. Spread out the Jason-to-female ratio. I mean, it's no fair you having three women when some of us got none. And if that stuff didn't already have you thinking it, things get cultish really quickly in the next clip.
5: Lacey. Are you ready to break away from these soulless masses and find a life of meaning?
4: Yeah, I guess.
5: That is not the answer I seek. You either do or you don't. There is no guessing here. Yes, I do. Good. Bring out the swine. Lacy? I know you recognize this fat tub of shit.
4: What is this?
5: This is what must be. The crime against you is not the only wrong Mr. Peterson has done. Isn't that right, pig? I didn't do anything. Let me go, you crazy
2: son of a bitch.
4: Jason, I don't want to do this.
5: Forget the norm. Forget the laws made by swine like this to protect swine like him. Oh, Peterson, I think our Lacey needs a little extra convincing. I know. Why don't you tell her about the time your daughter's friend Vanessa slept over? Tell her what happened. I I don't know what you're talking about. I I didn't do anything. Oh, can't cut your tongue. He's just like your stepfather. Do you think he'll ever see any punishment? That punishment is now. Go ahead. Ask him what happened. Let me go. Let nothing happen. Let me go. She killed herself. Because this pig couldn't keep a small dick inside his pants. (laughs) Grab the blade.
0: Jason offers Lacey a knife. She goes over and, yeah, she goes over and kills the guy. And really, that's fine. It's just a dream, nothing to worry about. We all do horrible shit in our dreams, right? Right? It's not Jemmy. And also, if he really was a pedophile, I still kind of got no problem with this. Jason and his ladies go on to kill a couple more horrible people, and I don't know. I'm I'm really having trouble not being bothered by any of this. I, I'm I'm okay with a little bit of vigilante justice from time to time. But all the killing does eventually weigh on Lacey, some and. That's fine. That's normal, too. She lets their next victim go a woman, and Jason reveals that she's going to go on to kill more people in the next clip.
5: You have made quite the decision. Your good deed comes at a great cost. That woman you set free will kill many at an abortion clinic tomorrow. She's done it before, and she will do it again.
4: The future must be the future, and we can't be the judges. Only God can judge. (laughs) Only
5: God can judge. Well, apparently he's hit the snooze button a few too many times because bad things are going on down here.
0: I, uh, um, kind of find myself not entirely disagreeing with my crazy cult leader namesake here. I mean, this is, uh, very much a part of the reason why I'm personally an atheist. If God's supposed to be doing the whole judgment and helping humanity thing, he's kinda dropping the ball. But I don't want to get into too much religion here, so I'm gonna quickly move on. After that, Lacey, you know, gets out of the cult, heads over to a priest to confess her sins and and try to absolve herself. The priest comforts her, tells her that it'll be okay, she's aware what she did is wrong, God will forgive her, stuff like that, he gives her a hug before she leaves. And the priest transforms into Jason because nightmare bullshit logic. Jason briefly hints that he might actually be Satan, dude, don't give my secrets away. Lacey wakes up and we're back in the train station with our group of losers. We kill some time before Mike really gets into his story and we start to find out he's a bit of a conspiracy nut. Oh joy, this is gonna be fun. Mike reveals he's a writer, a very unpublished writer, and we dive into his nightmare where he's doing more writing. His parents come along and reveal to him that they have found him a job. A job that is basically going to be house-sitting, keeping an eye out for a friend's ex-wife, and keeping an eye on his 15-year-old daughter. So Mike shows up at the house, gets the rundown of the rules, what expected of him for his duties, and that leads into the next clip.
1: Got it. Uh, anything else? Uh, yeah, there is. My trash has been getting rummaged through, so I set up a camera thinking I'd see raccoons, but it was a, uh, how can I say this without sounding nuts? Okay, come here, let me show you. Is that a bear? No, it's something I didn't believe in until recently. It's a Sasquatch. He's tried to get into the house a couple of times. They say they're standoffish, but not this guy. He seems to be an exception to the rule. It's insane. Have you sent this to the media? In my position, that would be career suicide, so no. Okay, watch the house, have a good night, and this little shindig I'm attending won't get me back till about one. You okay with that? That's fine, my bedtime's not till two anyways.
0: <laughs> okay,
1: good. All right, have a good night, if you
0: need anything calm. Got it, uh, have a good night. So let me get this straight. You have video of Sasquatch going through your garbage. Really good video. They show the video, it's, it's good. It's not like that famous classic blurry black blob bigfoot wandering off in the distance that everyone's seen by now and has been revealed to be a hoax for years people held that up as evidence of bigfoot's existence this video that would blow people's minds but showing this in my position would be career suicide bullshit after showing this you could write your own goddamn meal ticket anyways moving on mike meets crystal and uh She looks a little older than 15, guys. Nate's ex-wife shows up to yell like she was predicted to do. Mike tries to calm her down. She thinks Mike is banging her daughter. Mike shoes her off, but before she can leave, Bigfoot literally just comes out of nowhere and squats her down. No, no, bad DD Cooper, bad. Mike heads outside to shoot Bigfoot and take care of the problem once and for all, but before he can pull the trigger, he gets clocked on the back of the head. I have my suspicions that maybe, like, Crystal bonk them on the head to protect Bigfoot or whatever, but oh, it's much we- weirder than that because of wacky nightmare bullshit logic. Mike wakes up, his parents are there glaring at him, and Bigfoot is standing in between them, and you know what? Just, just go to a clip. I need a break. What the fuck is this?
3: I gave you one opportunity after the other and all you did was disappoint me. The same way Crystal disappointed Nate.
1: Isn't that right,
3: Nate?
0: That's right.
1: I tried to turn her around, but she kept going on that Facebook talking to boys. I'm not gonna
0: raise a whore. Where, where, where is she? What, are you one of the boys that wanted to get into her panties? Well, it's too late.
2: You know, we gave you plenty of chances, but you just kept coming back. Do you think me and your father want you leeching off of us forever? You came home to write a stupid book, and you sat on your ass for three weeks. Did you know that when your father was 17 years old, he worked his ass off, and he was able to afford a house? And what do you have? You could even graduate college, and then you leave us with a bunch of school loans. You want to know something, son? Your free ride ends now. (laughs) Why? Why why, why didn't you just kick me out?
3: Dad, why, why this? Why this? Your mother and I want freedom, just like Nate wants freedom. Freedom isn't free. That's something your generation is going to learn, you sooner than most.
0: So Nate was posing as Bigfoot, his daughter is dead, Mike's parents kill Mike because all the parents just hate their worthless kids and none of this makes sense and I don't care. But we find out what the nightmare is all about, responsibility and student loans. (laughs) That nightmare is over with, we go back to the train station, and Mike is just almost in shock about having such an intense experience. Yes, so much intensity of sitting around and talking until bullshit twist. The railroad guy comes back around, tells him they have a room available for them to stay at in the nearby hotel. But before they go, Dougie decides it's time for him to tell his story, and oh, please let it be good. Doug starts out telling his story, and his nightmare involves... Job interviews, woo! He gets a job offer as basically a glorified secretary, entering data, that sort of stuff. Ooh, Boring nightmare. Doug shows up for work and brings the next clip with him.
3: You work here? Yeah, you Douglas? Yeah. Good, you're early. We like that. Now follow me. That pile of forms goes in that computer. Gonna be working along with Lance tonight. If you have any questions, ask him. Lance, this is Douglas. Hi, Doug. It's Douglas. Douglas Atkins. I'm the data manager. Okay, data manager. Go manage that data.
0: Okay, go manage that data? It's actually a kind of great line. Doug and Lance sit around entering the data, not really thinking too much about it, But as they enter more and more they're kinda paying more attention to it and start to realize they're putting in information about serial killers and things are seeming really odd why are they doing this? And you know what would be better than entering data about serial killers? Actual serial killers. And I gotta say, the movie actually delivers on that point. For now we're still dealing with Lance and Douglas entering data and Doug really starts to lighten up. He's having a a friendly repartee with Lance they're kind of joking and smiling and is that the real horror of this story that Doug is happy at work eventually they start to get hungry Doug gets up to go get something to eat down the street but find the door out of the warehouse is locked but then all of a sudden a masked man pops up out of nowhere and stabs the guard in the back see actual serial killer told you they were coming Doug rushes back to the data entry room to get Lance, and that's our next clip. Guy in a mask. Just stabbed Tony
3: right right in the fucking neck. You, you got a cell phone? Yeah,
0: yeah, but I don't have any signal. That the building's so old. There's no service.
3: If we go up on the roof, it'll work there. Yeah, why don't we just go outside? Because the fucking door is locked in. There's a madman out there with a knife. We gotta let the cops handle this! Yeah, let's
0: go! Run, Lance! Run! So Lance does as he's told and runs, runs straight into the knife of another serial killer. Whoops. The pair of mad men catch Doug and all they want to know is, what do you have worth living for? And Doug, quite frankly, does not have a good answer for them. So since Doug really has no good reason to live, they stab him in the chest and put him right back to work. And that's a really chilling bit of allegory for the endless drudgery of work, sucking out your soul and murdering your spirit. And I'm not sure I quite buy that this movie was actually going for that sort of allegory. But I'm going to give it to him on this, just this once. But that wraps up Doug's nightmare, the movie's kinda getting close to an end, and we go back to the train station one more time. And, if nothing else, Doug has learned an important lesson in the next clip.
3: The dream was just... terrifying.
2: Don't you think it was your subconscious telling you to be nicer to
4: everyone?
3: I don't know, but... I don't think I'll ever be able to go on a job interview without thinking about it.
4: Well, I bet the faceless mask guys represent how you see everyone. All worthless. Uh,
3: I'm not analyzing anything here, Lacey.
4: Wow, you called me lazy. Not young woman, not young girl, not junkie. I must have earned your respect.
3: You know, I may come across as a dick, you know, once in a while, but I really have a soft side. As a matter of fact, I, I don't hate any of you guys.
1: Well, that's good. No
5: hard feelings here either. All right, people, your ride is here. Please exit that door in an orderly fashion.
3: Hey, wait, wait. You and I got off on the wrong foot. I know part of it's because you're not the brightest star in the sky, but part of it's because I have such a low threshold for
0: idiocy. So, I'm sorry. Thank you, sir. Mm, kinda. He's still got some work to do, sure, but he's trying, Damn it. The ride is there, it's time to go, and everyone heads out of the train station. And in the last clip, Lacey has one final revelation. We died
4: in that wreck, didn't we?
5: You did. Hello, Lacey.
4: Please, please let us go.
5: Go? Go where? I'm sorry to say, this trip is non-refundable, and you can't give it away. (laughs) What, What the hell is going on here?
4: Hell is going on here.
2: But why me? Why? I didn't do anything wrong.
5: You've all earned this trip, Janice. Lonely Janice, so lonely that you sought comfort in the arms of one of your young students. And my little Lacey. You haven't been totally honest, have you? Justifying stealing through necessity. You even stole from your grandmother. You left her no money for the pills she needs to live. And we both know what happened there, don't we? Shut up! (laughs) Mike. Mike! You're not going home because of money problems or failure in the real world. No. You got spooked. What if she told somebody? What if she knew what you did to her while she was drunk? (laughs) Best thing to do was to waddle away, wasn't it?
3: (laughs) Hey! I admit, those three are getting what they deserve, but not me. I'm not like them.
5: No, you're not. Oh, Dougie Bear, you're my favorite. Cause you're worse. That hate deep in your soul has ruined you. It's a disease that you spread. Oh, Dougie, misery loves company. And misery's what you deserve. It's what you all Deserve, And now it's time for the devil to get his due.
0: <laughs> yes, I called it! At least Jason returns to confirm his satanic nature and drags everyone off to hell where they belong. As we do. I started out with this movie rolling my eyes at the bad acting. Some of it didn't get any better. Some of it's pretty tolerable for most of it. I may be biased, but Jason was probably the best character and actor in the entire movie. And. Here's the thing, the stories in this movie aren't necessarily bad, per se. Like I said, the nightmare bullshit logic of them does get on your nerves and basically allows them to do whatever they want with the story. Random BS twist, things that don't make sense and they don't have to bother explaining because nightmares, but if you take the stories at their core and ignore the lack of logic in them, they're decent enough for short stories. They would almost work as short films, which is what you want from an anthology story a bunch of short films that are self-contained and work well as stories on their own. The problem comes with the rest of the movie. The framing sequence is all wrong. The train station is fine, finding out they're actually dead, that's okay too. But framing each of the stories as a nightmare sets up certain expectations that the stories end up not living up to. You could almost allow some of the random twists in that if there was at least feel some underlying logic to them. But when you say let's sit around and tell scary stories, tell nightmares, you expect real scary stories. When you sit down to hear a scary story, you expect something more like mendor hand hook cardor, not, not let's sit around on a date and drink some wine and just have a nice calm chat. The bones and structure of a decent anthology movie are there, but the logic is frustrating, the acting is cringy at times. I'd almost say go check it out just to see the devil, because, again, I'm a little biased. But overall, there are so many better anthology movies out there. It's certainly not the worst thing I've ever seen, but it's a far cry from really being worth seeking out. And that'll wrap up episode 12 of The Bloodstream. If you've enjoyed listening to The Bloodstream, please subscribe on iTunes, as well as leaving us a rating and review. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for The Bloodstream and join the group. We're also on Tumblr at thebloodstream.tumblr.com. If you want to talk to me directly with either suggestions for the show or future movies I can take a look at, shoot me an email at phoenix, F-O-E-N-I-X, at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and keep streaming.